If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we love chatting with farmers to learn about the fascinating things that are happening within the industry. We have another one of those opportunities here today. Hello everyone, I'm Adam Ulrich and welcome back to another edition of the Rural Perspectives podcast. I'm pleased to be joined by Carolyn Olson, who co-owns Olson Organics near Cottonwood, Minnesota. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. Let's kick things off by talking about your farming operation. You have a lot going on here. Could you describe your farm? Yeah, a lot going on here is is pretty accurate. We have 1,100 acres of organic row crops, corn, soybeans, small grains, and alfalfa. And we also raise conventional pigs. We do custom feeding for a neighbor of ours. I know you grew up in the Twin Cities area. Did you ever think in a million years you would come to a farm, specifically in southwestern Minnesota, and be a farm girl? (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I always loved agriculture. I had one set of grandparents that still actively farmed along with an uncle, and I would get to go spend a week on their farm every summer. So when Jonathan and I were dating pretty seriously, my parents both said, you realize this is not the romantic view of agriculture that you've experienced when you've stayed with grandpa and grandma, right? It's like, I think I know what I'm getting into. And I I, I didn't know the scope of, of what I was getting into, but I had an open mind about it and I have loved it even through the hardships through the nasty weather turns through the good times I have loved every minute now that you are and have been on the farm would you have it any other way absolutely not I don't think I could survive moving back to a metro area I don't think I have the right personality for that (laughs) I, I have found my home and this is home, and I, I love the rural community. I, I love my community. When did you and your husband decide to farm both organically and some conventionally? We had been raising food-grade soybeans for a few years. We also have been on our farm. There's been seed production since at least the late 1930s. So that was something that would bring a premium. The food-grade uh, soybeans brought a premium. So we're always looking for something extra to do. Some of our soybean buyers started asking us in about 1994-1995 if our soybeans were organic. And we had no idea what that meant. And this was before Google. (laughs) So... But we we connected with the experiment station in Lamberton who has a lot of organic research. They put us into contact with one of their employees who is a farmer near Madison, Carmen Fernholtz. So we just started asking questions. We researched it for a few years before we decided maybe we'll give this a try. In 1998, we started with our first 40-acre field and thought, you know, if this is a disaster, we'll just spray it and move on. It worked. So we started transitioning one field at a time. So our transition took longer than what some people do. And then when we were fully transitioned and fully organic, we picked up more land. So we had to transition that in. So we have been 100% all 1,100 acres fully certified organic since about 2011. But starting off in the process in 1994, that seems like kind of like an early adapter yeah, it was it was prior to the National Organic Program. It was prior to any of the, the rules that we have for a national thing. So 
each certifying agency kind of had their own set of rules, which is one reason why we're very supportive of having a national rule system and having standards that we, you know, we all have to meet the minimum standards. Some certification agencies still want you to do, you know, go over and above those minimum standards, but the minimum standards kind of leveled the playing field and made it where, you know, it's easy to sell your crop across state lines into other regions of the country because the certification, that that certificate means the same thing. So throughout your transition from a conventional farm, at least on the crop side, to an organic farm, and now or having organic crops and conventional hogs, are there any challenges with farming this way at all? Or have you found any difficulties? Probably the, the biggest difficulty that we face is the same difficulty that every single farmer faces. Weather, weed pressures. Um, for us, the added issues are segregation of crops, making sure that we don't have you know chemical drift, trying to keep our fields clean enough so that the neighbors aren't grumpy with us. And marrying that with the conventional side with the pig raising, we are able to use the manure to fertilize our crops, which is why we really like raising the pigs besides the bacon. Of course, bacon is is everything. It, It is, yes. But for us, manure is our primary reason why we have the barns. And for us, the bacon is the byproduct. We want the manure for all of our fertility needs. And that has been something that has worked really well for us. And we encourage other organic farmers to go out and source any of their manure needs from neighbors who maybe don't have a land base for the number of animals that they have. Come up with a working relationship with them. And that can be very helpful. We see the organic label kicked out there quite a bit. for, But for the consumers who might not be familiar with the process, What type of work goes into making something or classifying something as organic, at least in this country? The the National Organic Program has a standard set of rules. So we have, you know, we have to do crop rotation. We can't just do corn and soybeans back and forth. We need to throw in at least one other crop in there. We're encouraged to build soil health. That's kind of the basis of what organic is, is building soil health and the soil biologies and working with nature. So a lot of cover cropping happens in organic. That's, you know, if you you want knowledge on how that works, organic is a great place to look for different mixes and, and what has worked before. We've been early adopters of that. Uh, we started out with a three-year crop rotation. We've now expanded to a six-year. And that has helped to break some of the pest cycles, like the corn rootworm kind of a thing. So looking at um, crop rotation, that's a, a thing that's unique, I think, for organic. And also the lack of herbicides. In row crop production, we don't use pesticides or herbicides. We have mechanical weed control. So it's, it's and, and people will kind of freak out, oh my gosh, they're digging again. And they're, they're stirring up the soil. How can they be building soil health? When we're cultivating, we're only cultivating a half inch deep. So we're just killing the, the weeds and, and slicing off so that the roots will die. 
so it's not a deep tillage. So that, but that's a, a unique thing as well is is just that shallow cultivation and using mechanical weed control. In our corn, we flame weed, which is really awesome and really scary all at the same time. You know, you're pulling a thousand gallon LP tank with 36 burners behind it. It's really cool, really scary. <laughs> and, you know, using, using your extended crop rotations too helps to um, spread out your markets. Last week, we got some hail damage on one of our wheat fields, but we know that the other crops will help make up for the reduced yield in that. But we also are unique in that we still are raising seed. We are raising small grain seed, so our small grain can vary year to year depending on what Albert Lee's seed house needs us to raise. This year, it's wheat and triticale. Some years, we might be raising barley or oats or you know, any, any variety of them. And we also raise soybeans for seed, uh, for Albert Lee seed house. So that's a, you know, that's an aspect too, is, is finding those markets. That part of organic agriculture is something I think that doesn't get talked about a lot. How do we find our markets and searching out buyers? Once you have a network built, it all becomes about relationships. We are speaking with Carolyn Olson, who co-owns Olson Organics near Cottonwood, Minnesota. Carolyn, there seems to be a lot of misconceptions out there when it comes to the terminology that is used within agriculture and food. For example, all natural gets kicked around and floated around quite a bit. And that kind of mixes with some of the organic sections as well in, in the stores and such. What's your overall feeling when it comes to the terms we're using? The organic seal, the USDA certified organic seal, the white and green seal that you see, is the only one that has a, a regulation behind it through the federal government. All natural doesn't really mean much. There's no there's no requirements to label something all natural. It can mean anything. So when you're when you're buying all natural, it could be you know one thing in there is not synthetic. Or it could be everything in there is actually natural. But labels like, you know, the certified organic is one that has teeth. Hormone-free, antibiotic-free, natural, none of those really have any regulations or any teeth behind them. Now, how about looking at a bigger picture of the world? Obviously, agriculture is done all across the world but organic is held differently in different parts of the world. What's kind of been your experience or, or what, do you, what have you really noticed about that in, the, in terms of the standard that's set in this country versus the standard in other countries? In the United States, some of our standards seem to be reactionary. And like in Canada, they're more proactive in how, just how they're written and, and the verbiage of some of those, some of the regulations or some of the products that are allowed to be used on a, on a crop or disallowed. Canada tends to have a more proactive verbiage for theirs. We had a intern one summer from Germany, and he was explaining a lot about the organic systems in Germany, which kind of blew us away because we had no idea. He's a dairy farmer. His family's been dairy farmers since... 1846, I think, is when their barn was built. Just kind of crazy length of time there. Their whole co-op 
went organic at the same time. So they all transitioned in because the co-op decided to go organic. The co-op saw the market there. It's just, it it's a different frame of mind there. And their views on, on genetically engineered seed is different than what we have here in the U.S. And I'm not sure if it's fear-based or if it's market-based or, or what the source of, of their feelings are on that. But they're very open to using products that have, you know, genetic engineered products in, but they're also very open to organic products. And it, it, it's just, I think in the United States, we're more set in our ways. We're a little bit more stubborn about our, our way is the only right way, where other countries are like, eh, you know, it's good, it's bad, it's whatever. I'm going to do it this way. You do it that way. You know, they just seemed a little bit more relaxed about, about some of those things that, that divide us here in the U.S. even. It's oftentimes thought of or looked at like conventional farming and organic are on two separate sides. There's almost that competition between the two. What's your take as somebody who really has a foot planted on both sides? Our markets are completely different. Uh, we're not selling corn to the ethanol market. We are selling corn primarily for, well, vodka <laughs> is one of our big markets. So prairie grains or, or prairie organic vodka is distilled in Benson. And Phillips Distilling owns the prairie organic spirits label. And that started in 2008. And we have been one of the suppliers for that market since 2008. So that's probably our biggest market is vodka for our corn. So alcohol, yes. Ethanol, no. <laughs> the rest of our crops, our small grains and our soybeans, go first for seed production. Then they go into the market. But again, it's not the same market as what our neighbors are raising for. Some of our food grade soybeans will go into baby food that is not organic. It might go into tofu that is organic just depends on on what the buyer is looking for and what specs it meets and our wheat will go into organic lines of flour our markets are are similar but we're not looking at the same consumers you know in, in the united states you know there's that bell curve where you've got the 10 percent on either end that are adamant i'll either never buy organic or i'll only buy organic but you've got all of the people in the middle that buy both regularly and they're looking for different things in the different criteria so we're all feeding the same consumers and even if you are a soybean farmer you're feeding the non-meat eaters if you are livestock farmer or rancher you are feeding meat eaters so even there we have different markets but yeah we're all under the same umbrella and i there's so many similarities on what we do, but yet there's distinct differences on where our markets are and how we do things that I think, and I've said this since the beginning, there's room for both of us and there's a need for both of us. So what are conversations like when you are going and meeting with people from those respective sides? Are they pretty open to both? I mean, uh, is, is there really a, a rift there at all? Yes, there is a rift. And it's one that drives me crazy. But the rift 
doesn't happen when you're having face-to-face conversations. You might hear somebody say, I don't like the marketing. I get that. I don't like the marketing on, you know, when I see an ad that says, if you don't buy our insurance, your whole family's going to be devastated if a tire blows on your car. You need our car insurance or the, you know, there's fear-based marketing all over. It's not unique to organic. So I do, I do see it. I hear about it. I hear more on the marketing side when people are not liking organic. And that is the first thing that they will point out online on in different forums and everything. People like to throw out the word scam, that organic is a scam and that it's just a marketing ploy to bring in more money. And I would have to disagree with that. The, the amount of rules we have, the standards that we have in place that are through the federal government and the changes that we've seen on our farm since we started our transition, I would say no, absolutely not. It's not a scam. It's not for everybody. Not everybody will make a, not every farmer will make a good organic farmer. And I'm okay with that. You know, there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's a lot of extra work involved. And if you're not committed to it, if you're one that wants to cut corners on some of those things, or you want to hire somebody else to do stuff, you know, that that's, you know, organic's not going to be for you. The workload is quite a bit heavier in the summer. I'm okay with that. You do you. Now, switching gears just a little bit, it's always fascinating listening to consumer feedback and watching some market trends. There's no question that consumption habits have really changed over the past few years. A great opportunity is presenting itself to farmers and ranchers in that consumers, specifically younger consumers, want to know where their food is coming from and how it is being raised. Is storytelling a great opportunity for farmers at this point in time? Absolutely. I was part of a panel through the pork producers quite a few years ago now where we were in a group with food bloggers from the Twin Cities area and they had there was a veterinarian and I was the lone pig farmer that could make it because it was a snowstorm in February. Go figure. The number one thing that the food bloggers said on why they only buy their meat from a known farmer at Uh, farmer's market was because they then knew how the animals raised. They could ask those questions. They had a face to go with the product. They said organic does that well. Why can't Hormel do that? Why can't we have farmer stories and pictures of the farmers that raised this animal on the grocery store shelves? For them, it was a trust thing. And it's fueled a lot of, of my thoughts on how Storytelling is important, but I think where sometimes we miss the mark is in our storytelling, we might be telling our story, but also trying to tell somebody else's story to say we're better than them. And I don't think that is is what the consumer is looking for. So I think that's when we fall flat. What we need to do is say, you know, this is this is what I'm doing today. These are the animals that will wind up on the grocery store shelf under this under this label. This pig came from my barn or the corn. You know, I'll I'll post a picture of a 
a cornstalk and say this is this is for vodka and you know prairie prairie vodka or prairie gin will be made from this ear of corn it it helps to tell the story it connects me to the product to the end product and i think that is what consumers are really looking for and I think the companies that are looking at, at how can they market, the ones that are putting farmer stories and farmer pictures on their labels, I think that also is what consumers are looking for, any piece, any connection that they can have. One thing I've been told is that the consumers aren't buying organic necessarily for the health benefits as they might have been first. It's because of the environmental impact that they see. It's the being able to see the story, what farmer raised it, especially when it comes to fruits and vegetables, they can they can tie it back to a farm and a farmer. And the animals, you know, they, they want whether they're organic or whether they're locally raised. It's that connection and knowing how things were raised and and being able to feel good that they're supporting somebody. I think that is kind of what is driving them and why they're choosing organic in some, on some products. They're not 100% organic. They will, they will pick and choose what is important to them and what they feel good about purchasing. Now, you are also very busy with various organizations across the state of Minnesota. How important are organizations like the Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, different commodity groups, Common Ground, Advocacy Group, how important are they to storytelling within agriculture, but also just helping farmers and ranchers out with various needs. I think being part of an organization is so important. You keep on top of what is going on as far as research. You keep up on what is happening that on, on things that will directly affect you politically, whether you like politics or not. It's important to kind of know what's going on. And it's important to also to have that community of other people, like-minded people, whether it's corn growers, soybean growers, common ground, the farm, the general farm organizations. But all of the organizations, uh, the community that you that, that comes with being a part of them, you don't have to serve on a committee. You don't have to be on a board to get that community. You just have to pay attention and be. You can be as involved or uninvolved as you want to be. But I do think it's important because it gives you that, it gives you a connection of, of broader, a broader scope than just what you're seeing in your little neighborhood bubble. So when you speak to consumers about your farm, whether it's on behalf directly of your farm or in participating with one of these groups, what's the message that you like to leave with them? I usually end my presentations with a slide that the basics of it is I get to do what I love and every farmer is doing what they love for the consumer. I love agriculture and being in it. I wasn't born into it. I married into it, but I love what I'm doing. And I get to do that because we have consumers. I want to do the best I can for my consumers, as does every farmer out there. And it doesn't matter if you're organic or if you're a conventional farmer, doesn't matter. Every farmer is doing their best to raise the products that the consumers are asking for. 
And in the United States, we can do that better than any place else. And what a blessing it is to live in a time and a place where we can have those choices. Carolyn, I think that's the perfect spot to wrap this up with. I want to thank you very much for coming on. It's, it's much appreciated. Thank you so much. That's Carolyn Olson, co-owner of Olson Organics near Cottonwood, Minnesota. That's going to do it for us on this episode of the Rural Perspectives podcast, which is a production of Egg Country Farm Credit Services. To get more great content, please visit www.eggcountry.com.